Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, I'm Bill Press. Thank you for listening and welcome to this second edition of the Bill Press Pod. It's really an honor to join you twice a week now for a deep dive into some of the most important issues facing us today. And on this podcast, the first of our weekly roundtables, we'll look back at several of the issues we dealt with just this past week. Everything from Donald Trump's state visit to the UK to Joe Biden's flip-flop flip on the Hyde Amendment. It's 8.30 a.m. here in Washington, D.C. this Friday morning, June 7, and joining our roundtable today, Three good friends and outstanding journalists. Sabrina Siddiqui joins us, White House correspondent for The Guardian and CNN contributor. Hello, Sabrina. Hello, hello. Uh, Igor Babish, political reporter for HuffPost. Igor. Hey, Bill. Good to see you. And Pema Levy, reporter for the great Mother Jones. Hi, Pema. Good to be here. Great to see you all. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Donald Trump rounding up his visit to the UK, the royal, uh, the state visit to the to the UK, um, not without some controversy. Pema, how'd he do? You know, I think he did exactly what we sort of expected Donald Trump would do. He tweeted uh, insulting things before he arrived. Um, He, you know, made comments about how uh, the UK will probably go ahead and fully Brexit and that that would be a good thing. Um, you know, right before then moving on to commemorate D-Day and ostensibly all of the sort of international alliances that grew out of that. So a little bit of incongruity there. Uh, you know, I think this is kind of what we expect from from him. And uh, it's jarring in some way to see everyone sort of do the regular pomp and circumstance as if this isn't totally bizarre. <laughs> One of the things uh, greeting him, um, Sabrina, Um, were a lot of people in the streets of London. Uh, I guess beauty is in the eyes of the beholder because um, Donald Trump uh, had his own There were thousands of people on the streets cheering. And even coming over today, there were thousands of people cheering. And then I heard that there were protests. I said, where are the protests? I don't see any protests. I did see a small protest today when I came, very small. So a lot of it is fake news, I hate to say. But you saw the the people waving the American flag, waving your flag. It was tremendous spirit and love. There was great love. It was an alliance. And I didn't see the protesters until just a little while ago, and it was a very, very small group of people put in for political reasons. So it was fake news. Thank you. A lot of love in the streets, Sabrina. Well, he lives in an alternate universe. And once again, uh, he tries to present uh, something that really didn't happen, which is people cheering in the streets. Let's just say Donald Trump is not a very popular figure in the UK, uh, certainly not in London, where he has publicly clashed with uh, Sadiq Khan, who is the first Muslim uh, mayor, uh, uh, not just of London, but of a major city in the United Kingdom. 
And so you had some of the continued, I think, pushback to the way in which he has attacked uh, Sadat Khan on what appears to be the basis of his faith, saying that he's soft on terrorism uh, and making these sort of implicit comments about him. Uh, and th that wasn't the only thing that he just invented out of thin air, the idea that there were cheers instead of protests. He also insulted uh, Meghan Markle, uh, of course, who is uh, now married to Prince Harry. And he did this during an interview with The Sun where he called, he said he didn't know she was nasty, again, a nasty woman kind of attack, and then claimed he never said it, which was reminiscent of his last trip to the UK when he criticized Prime Minister Theresa May, also in an interview with The Sun, then tried to claim he didn't do so despite there being audio recordings. And I think this just kind of fits in this pattern where he can't help but meddle in the politics of other countries or insult, as Pema said, people before he even arrives or touches down on, on their soil. And then he also just has to present this fictional reality, this other alternative facts, if you will, about how he's actually received, which is an augmented sense of himself. Igor, the, some of the signs that I saw, um, the baby blimp mm -hmm. I saw flying overhead, there was one um, effigy or statue, whatever they made up of Donald Trump sitting on the toilet uh, <laughs> with his cell phone tweeting. Um, <laughs> I, I, Donald, Trump also, Donald Trump saw all of this as positive. Yeah, the, the British people are pretty creative in the, their protests. I kind of respect it. I think, I think uh, one of, one of the, the signs I think they projected was uh, uh, the USS John McCain, <laughs> you know, referencing yes. the fact that somebody in the White House wanted that ship out of his sight uh, on, on another trip that he did. Um, but what I, my favorite part about this trip was that he not only insulted British royalty, but also American royalty in uh, like a 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m. tweet before landing. I think it was Bette Midler that he just <laughs> oh, kind of <laughs> did this whole feud with. A washed kicked, out, kicked off. Washed out psycho. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. I, he just can't help it. He can't help it. He's never going to change. It's always going to be him. Right. And we all have to pretend like this is, like as Pema said, this is normal. Um, we on, don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason we, we do. do. <laughs> Uh, on the nasty comment about Meghan Markle, that was the beginning of the trip, actually before he got there. Mm -hmm. um, he ended the trip with an interview with Laura Ingram, Fox News, mm -hmm. duh, uh, on the grounds of the American, Normandy American Cemetery, where in that interview he um, called Robert Mueller a fool uh, and um, also lashed out at uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, personal assistant, here's, here's Donald Trump talking to Laura Ingram on sacred ground. He made such a fool out of himself the last time she, because what people don't report is the letter he had to do to straighten out his testimony because his testimony was wrong. But Nancy Pelosi, I call her nervous Nancy, Nancy Pelosi doesn't talk about it. Nancy Pelosi's a disaster, okay, she's a disaster. And let her do what she wants. You know what? I think they're in big trouble. He went on to call her, Nancy Pelosi, a nasty, vindictive, horrible person. Are we making too much of the fact that he did this at this, chose to do this interview at this cemetery, Sabrina? Well, I think it's par for the course. And we've been talking about how this is just what we've come to expect from Donald Trump and the notion that politics stops at the water's edge simply hasn't applied uh, to him. Now, it's fair to say that he's not the only president who has engaged in domestic politics when overseas, but he's taken it to another level. And certainly when you're sitting there at this event commemorating the 75th anniversary of D-Day and he's 
once again attacking Robert Mueller. He's who, by the way, did serve. Who also Donald. is a veteran, a decorated veteran, and then also you know engaging in these attacks against the Speaker of the House, who's the highest-ranking female politician in the U.S. It's just not the time and place to do it. Now, again, we we keep going back to this idea that. Um, we, we've learned he's not going to pivot, he's not going to change, uh, and, and this is the new normal. Whether or not it should be is a separate question. And it was notable that Nancy Pelosi, when she was uh, asked about his comments, said she's not going to talk about the president while she's overseas, and that's sort of similar to what played out when uh, Trump was in Japan last week, and he was criticizing Joe Biden and supporting attacks on Joe Biden by the North Korean regime, and Biden's office similarly waited uh, until he, the president returned to actually respond. So I do think that not everyone is following suit, but I think he's going to continue to behave in this way. I think, Pema, what strikes people is the personal nature of these insults. I mean, we mentioned, Igor mentioned, uh, Bet, uh, not Bette Midler, but... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah Bette Midler, Midler, right. Midler. Washed out psycho, right? right? Yeah, Nancy Pelosi, nasty, nasty, vindictive, horrible person, calling uh, Chuck Schumer a creep, all of this as part of the UK trip, right? Uh, calling the mayor a stone-cold stone stone cold loser. loser. I believe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's personal for him because I don't think that he... I think he's narcissistic, and so everything is about him and, and how he feels and, and about other people. And, you know, it doesn't stop at the water's edge and it doesn't stop when in terms of sort of, you know, drawing a line between my personal feelings and then policy or negotiations or what's best for the country. Um, you know, I think it's it's all about ego. And so it absolutely it just that's where I think that's where he's feeling is he wants to, you know, attack these people. I also think, you know, given the people that he attacked, I think that those are people that he feels threatened by. Like, I think it is a telling thing. I don't think that he's just sort of you know, rambling about Nancy Pelosi because he can't think of anything else to talk about. You know, I think that she has proven to be very steely. Um, she has stood up to him more successfully than any other Democrat. Um, she <laughs> says mean things about him all the time, and she could, you know, at some point green light impeachment proceedings. So she is an enormous threat to him, and I think it's incredibly telling uh, that he can't get her out of his head. Yeah. What I, what I almost found more interesting about this whole, you know, Laura Ingram, Trump talking about, you know, taking these attacks while speaking at a at a American cemetery was, like, the reaction among the right. It almost gets tiring to do these thought exercises now, but, like, you know, imagine if Obama did this. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to imagine. There was a, a very famous <laughs> case of, you know, Obama giving this speech about the murder journalist, James Foley, you know, North Korea. Um, and then immediately going off on a golf course mm. a couple hours later, and it prompted this whole like 48-hour news cycle that everybody murdered was like, by ISIS, I think you meant. Murder, "Murdered by ISIS." That's right. Um, and uh, you know, you, there's you don't really see that now. You know, everybody just kind of moves on. Well, in fact, sort of the crowning point of this trip was that thank God there was a golf course owned by him that Donald, <laughs> that Donald Trump to could retreat to, right? Yeah, I, I do think to your point though, it, like if you want to get like. A little like ooh, theoretical for a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, the Republican Party is the conservative party, right? And it's the party of you know small c conservatism is like traditionalism and hierarchy and tradition. And so I think you know it is interesting to have a party that is 
focused on decorum and focused on, you know, the pageantry and that you can argue there's a real value to that. Um, and that is the party that currently is just walking away from that and, you know, pretending that it doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. And, you know, maybe they'll try to, you know, re revive it when there's, uh, you know, someone else that they want to attack for it. But um, it is just another way in which Trump has sort of subverted the ideals on which the Republican Party stood. Moving along, let me pick up on that. And another thing that the Republican Party has always stood for um, is they've been the party against tariffs, or the free trade party. Um, there are members of the Senate who have their entire career, members of the Trump administration who have spent their entire career uh, telling the American people why tariffs are wrong, are wrong and are the wrong, totally wrong approach to trade. And of course, Donald Trump has a different opinion. What does he think about these senators, Sabrina, who um, are raising questions about his tariffs? Here's the president um, just a couple of days ago. A lot of people, senators included, they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to tariffs. They have no, absolutely no idea. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> right, the lawmakers who actually have been working on these issues for decades don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but the president who acts impulsively and, and with the clear motivation to rile up his base ahead of his reelection, he, he clearly knows what he's talking about. So he thinks, um, you know, this is actually really interesting because Igor is just talking about how we always have to have this thought exercise about, you know, what will it take for Republicans to actually say this is wrong uh, or that this is where the president has just, you know, broken to the point where they have to speak out. And I think that you know, Terrace is one of the few places where they look like they might be prepared to take some kind of action. Now, I don't think they're going to pick a really big fight with the president. One, because they just have, we've seen, they've given him a pass on virtually everything. And two, especially with 2020 around the corner, I think they know that he's all but likely to start embracing primary challengers to sitting incumbents. He has uh, shown that he's willing to do so. But last year, when the Senate, Republican led Senate, was frustrated with uh, the tariffs that the president had imposed on Canada and other allies in Europe, uh, they passed a resolution to curtail his authority on tariffs. Now, they didn't in a way that was non-binding, so it was more symbolic, mm -hmm. but I think it was a sort of wait and see. And if the administration continues down this path, uh, then maybe we're going to have to do something a little bit more forceful. And some of them are talking up having a potentially having a veto-proof majority to really send a message to his desk that they're not going to allow him to impose these tariffs on Mexico, which are uh, extremely, uh, they pose a big threat, I should say, to the economy. It's bizarre for a president who, for all the misguided policies he's pursued, uh, has been able to keep up uh, some of the I think, positive swing in the economy uh, that began under the Obama administration. And a lot of that must is more so the work of his administration um, in terms of not completely torpedoing the econ economic recovery of the last decade. But he's his own worst enemy. And I think this is where Republicans might look at, might step in and, and actually take some kind of action. How, how significant? I, I, we don't but know. maybe wishful thinking, Igor, th th there's no way these Republican senators are going to challenge Donald Trump on these tariffs. Is there? I think that... I mean, not if, one of them if, has said... Well, he, he's threatened to impose, you know, an additional 5% every month every, up to yeah. 25%. Right. So if it goes, you know, even beyond 5%, I think you're going to see some something happen. But at least for the for the first 5%, I can I can imagine them at least sustaining sustaining a, a veto. But um, what what's more crazy to me is that I, I can understand 
Republicans who will run for re-election. I'm not saying it should be right or like this is the way it should work, but I get it. I understand like if you're running re-election, you gotta yeah. you know stick with the president, otherwise you're 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 gonna get, <laughs> you're gonna get voted out. He's gonna challenge you. But there are Republicans who are not up for re-election next year who are <laughs> totally backing the tariffs after years of saying they back free trade. People like uh, you know Richard Burr or uh, Rick Scott, Marco Rubio, for God's sakes. Marco Rubio used to be like a <laughs> somebody who's <laughs> Who's moderate on immigration? Now he's totally, you know, supportive, uh, backing Trump. On Are you this. saying Mark Rubio switched his position on immigration? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's no crazy, way. crazy. But but what gets me? Is, so these tariffs, I believe, I'm talking about maybe what Democrats ought to be saying about these tariffs, right? I mean, a tariff is nothing more, isn't it, than a tax? It's a tax on consumers. It's a tax on American companies, uh, on anything that they import from from Mexico. Um, why are the Democrats even speaking out stronger against this? You know, I think that's a good question, but I, I think that where Democrats, you know, this is tricky because it's a t we're talking about tariffs, but we're, all, we're talking about immigration, right? And we're talking about asylum seekers. Um, we're talking about our you know, asylum laws and our duty to take care, our humanitarian duty to take care of other human beings. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the idea that, that this is happening in order to, you know, stem asylum seekers from coming into this country is sort of the, the fulcrum here for the Democrats, um, you know, and the fact that uh, that's not, this is certainly not the way to go about it. And in general, the way that we are going about dealing with um, an increase in migrants coming over the border is um, wrong and, and harmful. And so I, I think that that's, you know, for them, I think it's sort of like, you know, this is a, a, a policy in pursuit of something that's technically, yes, a problem, but, but not a problem in the way that that Trump puts it right. They don't view this as a bunch of dangerous criminals bringing drugs and you know taking all of our jobs. Um, and so I think that there's sort of just a before you even get to tariffs, there's just you know there's a disagreement about you know what we're doing at all. Well, to me, it's it, there's also a fundamental I don't know incoherence to the policy. Meaning he says, as I understand it, we're going to put these tariffs on until you stop allowing any migrants to come into this mm -hmm. country. Or come. I mean, it's like saying. You know, we're going to put on a tariff until every nobody says bullshit anymore. Right, right? Well, I mean, it's just not going to. The two don't connect. They don't. Re they haven't even really articulated what they want. So that's sort of on one level what makes it so s mm -hmm. scary of a proposal is not like if you do this one thing, we'll roll it back. We're asking for this one thing. It's just sort of like deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? I was just going to say the president wants to solve what he says is a crisis at the border and chaos at the border by creating more chaos at the border. If you're <laughs> going to severely burden Mexico and its economy, they're not going to be able to be partners in this fight against uh, at least pr figuring out what to do with the number of uh, migrants who have been fleeing uh, violence and poverty in Central America. And it's the same way, you know, one of his other suggestions was to cut off aid to those countries in Central America, yeah. which is expressly designed to create economic opportunity in those countries and, and revitalize those communities so that people don't feel the need to leave. And so a lot of his policies have, have been counterintuitive and counterproductive, but really it's because it's, it's just a way that he can go to his supporters and say, look, I'm being tough on the border. I also, I just, the final thing here is to your question about Democrats, you know, on the one hand, I don't think they want to acknowledge the problem in the way that he is posing it. But I also think that on some level, they probably want him to do this tariff thing in that sort of way that mm. partisans can't help but say, oh, the other guys, you know, own goaling themselves. Maybe we should just get out of the way and let them do it. Right. Um, you know, in theory, no one wants the economy to get worse. 
On the other hand, it would help Democrats if the economy got worse, right? So I think that on some level, they're just sort of like, oh, you're just going to like, you know, score on yourself. We'll just back away slowly and Maybe here. based on the hope that some of those pro-Trump farmers someday, someday, someday might <laughs> finally have enough and turn against them. I don't know. Speaking about uh, Igor Republicans that um, in the Senate or in the House who are unwilling to turn against Donald Trump, there are some Republican voices uh, that have spoken out. We'll get to those. We're going to take a quick break and we'll get to those uh, when we come back. It is the uh, Bill Press pod here. Uh, our weekly roundtable with Sabrina Siddiqui, Igor Babish, and Pema Levy. Uh, and we'll be right back. We're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Fox, J. David Cox, I'm sorry. They're the ones who. Uh, Keep our federal agencies open and running every day, men and women who are proud to get up and work for America uh, every day. We salute them, thank them for their good work. Uh, we all depend on their services and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we're back with uh, today's roundtable with uh, Igor Babish from HuffPost, Pema Levy from Mother Jones, and Sabrina Siddiqui from The Guardian. So some rare voices heard this week. I don't know whether you saw this. This was a, a spot that actually ran on Fox and Friends Thursday morning. It was a uh, spot paid for by a group called Republicans for the Rule of Law. And the voices that, that we're going to hear they are all, um, interestingly, former top Republican law enforcement officials, state and federal, uh, who put this uh, ad together um, talking about uh, Donald Trump and the rule of law. Again, if you were watching Fox and Friends Thursday morning, here's what you heard and saw. This administration has an absolute disregard for the law. The Mueller report makes a very strong case on obstruction of justice. Were the president anybody other than the president, he would have been subject to indictment. One of the most disturbing things to me is the conduct of Republicans. They know that there is a damning case of obstruction of justice by the president. Now is the time to put your principles first. It's not a time to sit silent. Not a time to sit silent, and while those words are, going, uh, going, uh, are being heard, the photos shown on the spot are photos of Kevin McCarthy, profiles of Kevin McCarthy, Marco Rubio, Mitch McConnell, and Lindsey Graham. It's not a time to sit silent. 
And all those people, by the way, uh, are happy to move on from the Mueller report and not hear any more from Robert Mueller or, you know, look, take a look at his evidence of what he's presented. The four people I mentioned. That's yes, right. right. That's the right. four leaders. Right. His, his biggest defenders, Trump's biggest defenders. But, uh, you know, putting this ad out there, I think this is a group that's run by a couple of never original never Trumpers. So they've, they've been doing this for a while and trying to, trying to kind of peel away the president's base on his favorite, favorite TV channel. Right. On an issue on which he's, Sabrina, supposedly stands strong, right? Law enforcement. That's him. Right. And I think that these are all uh, Republicans, the ones whose images they flashed, who have really aligned themselves with the president despite their past criticisms of him. These were some of his most vocal critics. You think back to what Marco Rubio said during the 2016 campaign, where he was the one who originally made the case that Trump is simply unfit to serve. Um, and he warned that he was going to bring authoritarianism to the country's doorstep. Lindsey Graham, of course, had all kinds of colorful language when he was talking about uh, Trump. And you know, he infamously had that comparison between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump saying it's like being shot or poisoned uh, in terms of the choice before Republicans. Uh, and, and they've become uh, some of his biggest defenders. And because this is, has to do with the aftermath of the Mueller report, uh, there are people who've said it's time to move on, case closed. And one of my favorite things about the statement Marco Rubio put out after the release of the Mueller report was uh, he talked about Russian interference in the election. He had a statement that was entirely about uh, the, the volume one and didn't mention anything about the campaign, just specifically about the fact that, look, we're glad at the end of the day that there was not a conspiracy between a campaign and a foreign adversary. There was actually not a single word about the obstruction <laughs> volume. It was like it didn't exist. Right. I was like, did you read the same report? <laughs> did you just decide that, that that part you know, wasn't actually part of this investigation? Did you throw that part in the fire? I don't know exactly what happened, but it was for a lot of these Republicans, despite the fact that the special counsel laid out as many as 11 instances in which the president or his campaign sought to obstruct justice, uh, they really just decided that it's a nothing burger. Pema, is this a, this a spot, um, you know, the beginning of maybe a, a little crack in the solid Republican wall of support for Donald Trump? I don't think so. I do think it's some expert trolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think, I think Igor's right. I, 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 um, I believe this is the group that George Conway is part of. And so it's sort of, it, it's tricky in some way because it's sort of like these Longtime Republican officials, but like they're not the people whose faces you recognize, right? No, it's not right. like the senators or the lawmakers that are like, you know, them publicly breaking with the president. It's sort of like, oh, who's that guy? Uh, yeah. You know, Bill Barr, Bill Barr, for example, his <laughs> face does not appear as part of this ad. No, <laughs> right, exactly. I, I think you know it was this group formed a few months ago, I believe, and I think it, you know it made news and it, it's important. Um, but I think on some level it was. Im- shocking how small it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, how few folks that were actually willing to come together and put their name um, to the issue that uh, the Trump administration is, for all its purported talk of rule of law, um, not following a lot of the laws. And and so I think, you know, it, it's some expert trolling. I'm in, really interested to see where it goes. But right now, I think it is a smaller group of never Trumpers um, who due to the popularity of the president, have not been able to grow their ranks. Uh, another big issue that's, that uh, came up this week in a courtroom in New York um, is a question of the additional, additional question that the Trump administration wants to place on the 2020 census, which is, are you or are you not a citizen of the United States? The ACLU has sued to keep that off 
Um, the census saying has nothing to do with what a census is supposedly all about. The Trump administration has argued, no, we need this to get an accurate count. It has nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with immigration. Wilbur Ross so testified in front of Congress. Uh, and yet this week surfaced a memo written by a former a GOP staffer by the name of Tom Hofeller, who's since passed away, but he wrote a letter to the um, Commerce Department saying, this will real I'm paraphrasing, this will really help the Republicans and will really hurt the Democrats because it'll end up count, not counting as many Latinos or possible Democratic votes. The Supreme Court has this issue in front of them. There's, they heard oral arguments. They're supposed to decide it by the end of the month. Question. Will this surfacing of this memo, which proves it's all political, have any impact on the uh, decision of the Supreme Court? What do you think? I think most court watchers, experts, believe it won't because oral arguments have already passed and the, ju the justices cannot... And new evidence doesn't count? <laughs> you can submit it for the record, but as, as far as you know, hearing a case, oral arguments have passed, and what they're looking for, you know, the, the chances, opportunity has passed... Is it going to be mentioned by some of the justices, especially the liberal justices? It is. Um, and I, I think if you're a conservative justice, you've already made up your mind on how you're, how you're going to rule. No, but no doubt, Sabrina, this proves why they're putting this question on there, Juan. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Trump administration made the argument this will help them get a more accurate count when any expert will tell you that it actually will lead to much more inaccurate reporting because undocumented immigrants or just this, people in the Hispanic community in particular are not going to want to come forward and provide data information to the government because they're not sure what that's going to be used for. Um, and that not only impacts how the government collects information, but it also affects the distribution of government-funded services uh, that are vital to a lot of these communities. So, I, you know, I don't think there's any doubt as to the fact that this is politically motivated, and now you have evidence to support that. But uh, to Igor's point, during the oral arguments, there seemed to be a fairly partisan split in the way that the justices were approaching this case. And uh, especially if you look at the fact that the president has not one but two appointees sitting on that bench, I'm not sure if they're going to uh, be the ones to actually yeah. rule in favor of what's right as opposed to ruling in favor of the Why president. Why is this important, Pamela? I think this is incredibly important. Um, I think it's incredibly important to the country, to communities all over the country, including communities of color, immigrant communities, in terms of fair representation, about getting resources. I also think it's a moment of truth for the Supreme Court. Um, you know, yes, oral arguments passed, right? So is the new rule, you can lie to our faces, but as long as you hide it past, you know, a certain date, we can't do anything about it? That's crazy. Um, you know, I, I think that we saw sort of a early hint of this in the travel ban case. Um, I think the government came forward and said, look, we've <laughs> the first one really seemed racist. The second mm. travel ban seemed yeah. pretty racist, yeah. but we've done a third one. We swear this one is legit. We definitely need this for national security purposes. And the, uh, you know, despite all the things the president has said and the Supreme Court said, OK, we'll just take your word for it. Now you have, <laughs> you know, uh, lawyers for the government going before the courts, the federal courts and the Supreme Court, and saying this is about protecting people's voting rights, the voting rights of people of color. Um, meanwhile, there is literally evidence that it is to disenfranchise people of color. And there's no, that's just it. Like that lie is out in the open. I mean, we're going to be talking about bringing sanctions or maybe even disbarring these lawyers. And you might have a Supreme Court that says, 
since we agree with the goals <laughs> of this policy, we don't care that you lied to us. And I think that, I mean, I just think it's a, an incredible moment of truth, whatever way they go. And, you know, I think it's quite possible that they will just sort of say, whatever, it's too late. Right. Um, a lot of other lot lot stories of the week I haven't gotten to yet, but uh, I did want to ask each of you whether there's some favorite story of yours that just caught your attention for whatever reason, um, whatever reason, um, that, uh, that you spent some time on this week or that, that intrigued you somehow, Igor? I spent a lot of time on the story, reading it, just taking it all in. So which one? A person walks into a Taco Bell in Louisiana. <laughs> yes. And asks, you know, puts in an order and they tell this person that they're out of both hard and soft shells at Taco Bell. Like that's the number one thing that they make their food out of. Yeah. Right. right. And this person calls No tacos at Taco Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Who heard of that? So this person ends up calling 911 over there. Amazing. And it just it goes Was it forth. you? I I'm not going to. I do not. <laughs> Igor is a renowned taco aficionado. So. <laughs> and 911 said, Sorry, we can't help you. <laughs> Tough luck. Uh, that's an emergency. Taco yeah. apocalypse. Right. Yeah. I know. Oh, God. Yeah. Sabrina. Well, now I feel like I'm going to be a major buzzkill because my story is really serious and really sad. That's all right. It can be. But it's, I feel like it's a must-read. And since we were talking about immigration, it maybe dovetails nicely that um, you know NBC started with some reporting about the botched ways in which migrant children were reunified, oh. and in some cases not reunified with their parents. And in some instances, some of these children spent more than 24 hours in a van uh, waiting to be processed in just completely inhumane conditions. And it's remarkable that we don't talk about this every day. I mean, it was almost a year ago now that the family separations, it was about a year ago that the family separations the numbers policy that have come out are was, was starting to come to the surface and, and to people's attention. And it was a humanitarian crisis. And we've sort of put it behind us, despite the fact that, one, a lot of these children were not reunited with their parents and will never see them again and vice versa. And two, the conditions in which a lot of these migrant children are being kept are just incomprehensible. The New York Times had some follow-on reporting and so did the Washington Post about the Trump administration canceling uh, recreational activities and, and classes, English classes and other, uh, you know, activities at, at these shelters where they're being kept, which are effectively camps. Let's just call them what they are. And they're saying because they don't have the funding, but it just reinforces just how cruel it all is. Right. This is money in the budget for classes, for soccer, yeah. for things, for, right? Kids need, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, things that they need, they right. should have. And they just canceled those funds out of the program. Right. right. Why aren't we talking about it every day? Uh, that was important to get that out. Well, I just, I just feel now like I <laughs> completely blew it, or I just need to be reading better things. That's all right. I, I have an equally um, maybe off the wall one too. But Pema, yeah, um, put your attention this week. Um, so this is a story that sort of like I'm going to say it's a happy, sad one. Um, but um, India had its its first um, openly gay athlete. Yes. Um, although I should say lesbian athlete. Um, <clears throat> because she's a woman. Um, and I think, you know, the, the story so far has that been that track, there's a... Track star, right? Yes, a sprinter. Hmm. Um, the, the story so far is that the reception has been good. You know, the people are supportive of this, and it's unclear if her family will be supportive of this. Um, she actually came out because her sister was threatening to out her to her family, and she said, well, I'll, I'll just go public. Um, 
But I, I think it's just like, you know, we're entering pride season here. Um, and I think, you know, it's important to think about, you know, all over the world where you have a situation where how many people live in the country uh, of India and there yeah, is not a right. gay out athlete. Um, and so, so that's kind of crazy. We have a presidential candidate who is gay, but I still think athletics in particular are sort of like a macho um, you know, kind of field in a lot of way. And, you know, it was only recently that we had an out NFL player. Um, and so I think that it's, you know, we can meditate on in some ways how fast things have come in this realm, um, but also how far away um, equality is here and, uh, and That's abroad. That's an excellent point. The thing about the population of India, and it's a big deal because the first right. gay athlete came out as, as a lesbian. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to... Uh, I take it back to where I eager me to, <laughs> to because my the story that caught my attention, my favorite story was Operation Meltdown, um, meaning in New York City, they rounded up 46 ice cream trucks for wow. breaking the law. 40, these uh, owners of these ice cream trucks apparently were changing the name of their company fast to avoid having to pay fines because the drivers knew this and they would park in front of fire hydrants, they would park in front of across crosswalks, they would run red lights, and they got up to four and a half million dollars in fines oh owed to the city of New York and they traced them down. And the reason they could not collect any of these fines because every month or so these companies would change the name of the uh, of the shell, put up another shell company. 46 ice cream trucks that were seized by Mayor Bill de Blasio. Oh, of course. <laughs> Of so, course. This man should not be president. <laughs> what I wonder is, is this the first plank of his tough law enforcement program? I think it's the first scandal of his campaign, actually. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> what was it? Ice cream, you scream, we, we all, all scream, scream for ice, ice cream. Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. it's, it's summer. People need their ice cream. So in New York, they're all screaming for the uh, ice cream trucks that, uh, that used to be. Uh, but this is the week that was, the week of Donald Trump. Um, uh, overseas and things playing out here at home. Um, Sabrina, thank you for being here. Thank you. Igor, great to see you. And Pema, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I just have a quick uh, final word here, a little parting shot, um, which I will quickly add is my opinion only and not necessarily the opinion of our, of our three panelists. Uh, but I want to say in closing that among Democratic candidates for president, not all agree on the Hyde Amendment, that hoary old 1976 rule that prevents any federal funds like Medicaid being spent for abortion. Some candidates are for keeping it, some are for repealing it, unless you're Joe Biden. This week he was for repealing it, then for keeping it, and then for repealing it all within 48 hours. Now the only good news about that is that Biden, who's always been somewhat squishy on pro-choice, ended up on the right side of the issue. The Hyde Amendment has always stood in total contradiction to the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision, making abortion services legal, and discriminates against poor women and women of color who can't afford a private physician and depend on federally funded clinics. The bad news is that it makes Joe Biden look like a total amateur. Seriously, after 36 years in the U.S. Senate and eight years as vice president, he doesn't know where he stands on the Hyde Amendment? That is troubling. Of course, it's very early in the, I admit, very early in the 2020 Democratic primary, but Joe Biden has leaped to an early lead because people perceive him as solid, safe, 
and steady. In other words, a real pro. But that image was shattered this week. This week, Biden looks like a total rookie. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thanks again to Sabrina Siddiqui, Kamalivi, and Igor Babish. And thanks to all of you for joining us. Remember, the Bill Press Pod is available wherever you look for and turn to for your favorite podcast. Please subscribe. Please tell all of your friends about it. And please give us a five-star review. We need all the help we can get to spread the word and build our audience. Meanwhile, keep up the good fight. We'll see you next time. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.